0: I I think we're ready to head back to the 60s. Yeah, for some groovy good times. We reach. Yes. Yes we do. I I was starting to write my review for this one and I I was really trying to make it a not snarky. Like, hey, let's make fun of the dumb hippies and their crazy costumes and all that shit, but it's <laughs> kind of hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you you can you can definitely analyze it somewhat seriously if you want to, but wow (laughs) yeah
1: i've i've actually been giving this uh this one and we should say that the name of the episode is the way to eden um been giving this one a fair amount of thought Uh, in a way i kind of see it as the sequel or companion to this side of paradise from the first season because when you boil it down it really deals with a lot of the same Ideas and issues. Mm,
0: you do don't say.
1: I do say, actually. Go on. Well, in this side of paradise, it was uh, you had the colonists thrown into uh, an ideal, an, uh, an idealized, idyllic uh, setting, a uh, kind of Eden, if you will, mm. and the the central question uh became you know are humans meant for that kind of existence is it inherently good is it inherently bad um should they be allowed to exist in under such circumstances and the the answer um is uh, that the the episode suggests is no and uh, you know Kirk's ending soliloquy about, you know, we can't, um, dance to the music of the lute. March to the the the... drums, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the, the space hippies in the way to Eden are searching for their Eden and, uh, will do nothing, are, are willing to pull out all the stops to, get there and when they do, um, Eden is poisoned. So again, uh, in a more roundabout way, or uh, well maybe not roundabout, you you end up with more or less the same answer, although the way it is addressed and the way the, the hippies are Dealt with versus the way the colonists are dealt with leaves more of a question in my mind as to, uh, you know, the validity of their their uh, their ideals, their quest, if you will. Well, no, not five,
0: jump jump too far ahead, but of course, in at least this side of paradise, the uh, the the you know the counterculture or whatever argument is at least somewhat taken seriously. Right, or more seriously, I should say.
1: Well. And the thing is that I mean it wasn't a direct movement. That was it was just the effect of the spores, mm-hmm. and that uh, you know it's a that that's a difference that's worth considering because I mean obviously uh, this was an an analogy or a reference to uh, the counterculture of the '60s, and I was I spent some time trying to decide whether or not the portrayal of the, the hippies was contemptuous or if it was just ignorant and shallow. And the conclusion I came to is that it's ignorant and shallow. Because you have, I mean, uh, Kirk and Scotty, for instance, are, are derogatory about, you know, why does a young mind have to be an undisciplined mind and... Um, uh, Kirk's tight-ass authoritarianism, and so on and so forth. But on the flip side, you have Spock, who sympathizes with them, or as he puts it, he's at least curious about them. Uh, and, I mean, in terms of orthodoxy and logic and rationality, uh, I mean, Spock is a standard-bearer. So the fact that he took an interest in them and actually uh believe in their uh their basic goals and purpose you know says a great deal
2: it does in fact i think that it, they only really become sympathetic because it, they it their purpose gets filtered through Spock like Spock actually gives them more legitimacy, credibility yeah. and legitimacy yeah. yeah than they than they have on their own and so he kind of And if it weren't for that, I think some of the best scenes in the episode are actually with Spock, and Mm -hmm. you know, kind of wrestling in his own mind with what what it is that they want, and him and and showing him sympathizing with it. And I think it's kind of an interesting angle on Spock's character, you know. And it's also also I think there's some speaking to the fans a little bit too, like they know that the fans of you know, I grok Spock. That there's there's a heavy element of the fan base that that does identify Spock as a countercultural figure in a way. I, I was
0: just thinking that Rob, that uh, that that perhaps that was deliberate on the, the part of the, the, the writer for this one that yeah let's yeah, you know, we know by this time of the series we know that Spock is a popular figure, and this was a way to you know maybe clumsily connect him with the the, young, the younger folks.
2: Yeah, I think it is clumsy, but it's um, and oh, I you no know sense. it, and I said I said this way I thought way back first season we were talking about Return of the Archons I think I mentioned, the way to Eden, as a, a sort of one of the the signs of Star Trek decadence my theory of Star Trek decadence mm-hmm. it's actually related to what Eric just said Eric Eric's take on it which is. That they dealt with earlier in the series, they dealt with contemporary issues including communism and and the counterculture and youth rebellion has always been a theme since season one, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they dealt with them at at a much greater remove from actual contemporary manifestations. And so it, but by season three, it's like they'd kind of given up on, or either that, or they just didn't have the the sort of insight to realize that it was more effective if it was re- further removed. And so we get episodes like basically we've season three has quite a, a lot of issue episodes, like contemporary issues that this one's a counterculture specific, very specifically the hippies. And yeah. there's, in the, you know, we had, we had race and we had in, um, let that be your last battlefield. We have coming up, we have feminism, um, Just dealt with in this very blunt, clumsy way, and that's my sort of my you know my take on oh let's we have to get more relevant we have to get more relevant not realizing Mm -hmm. that that's that's going to actually yeah by hanging a large neon sign over the episode yeah yeah, and um, as so you know and as a a group of you know as a threat to the enterprise and as a sort of adversary, this group of hippies is. because they seem kind of ridiculous, that that makes it hard for the audience to take them seriously. And they, you know, watching this episode again, I did re, I did appreciate that they made some efforts to establish that these characters did have the background and the skills that would enable them to be able to do some of the things that they do and take sort of take control of the Enterprise, even though it's far <laughs> fetched. They do. Yeah. They do it, and it's sort of because there's so little resistance and, and so little, you know, like where's the security? Where's all the, you know, and once they take control, it's like they don't even, Kirk doesn't even really make that much of an effort to to take back control. Well, of this the is enterprise. a recurring
0: theme, the third season of uh, yeah. you know, Enterprise crew incompetence.
1: Well, and and it's really glaring in this one because, I mean, they take control via the... Auxiliary Control Room. Now, Mm -hmm. who's going to know more about the inner workings of the Enterprise, the space hippies, or the Enterprise crew? In particular, Scotty. I mean, come
2: on. Yeah, it's it's really, really it's surprisingly weak. All too easy. And the the way that they and I, I I know eventually we're going to get to this anyway, but the. I guess one of the ways that they imply... It's sort of implied that they're able to do this so easily is that their music is so captivating that they think so. <laughs> Well, they, they put the an crew, awful lot of stock
0: in that, in their uh, musical abilities. Yeah, the crew members yeah. are, like,
2: swaying. Well, oh, 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 yeah, they're all jamming out. They're all air guitaring like, in ridiculous ways. I don't know. Well, Yeah, you and, know,
1: and that...
0: Oh, go ahead, Eric.
1: Well, uh, what I was going to say was that... Um, uh if I'm not mistaken, um Yeah. Uh I was just looking up this episode. Actually, um the Deborah Downey, the the blonde who jammed with Spock mm-hmm. that's the name of the actress.
2: Uh, the is name, the character. Mayvig, yeah,
1: yeah. Wow. She co wrote the music with Charles napier who also played Adam. I wrote oh. that, yeah. And uh I find that interesting. Um because neither one of them, I think, were actual musicians. But um, uh, well, Charles Napier—he uh, was also in uh, um, the Blues Brothers. He was uh, the lead singer for the Good Old Boys, which you know, if you remember oh, the movie, country yeah,
0: and western. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> the what?
0: They—they they do country and western. Yeah, country yeah, and right. western. <laughs> Yeah, and um, uh, and boy, they but you know it's interesting how uh, the 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 songs I mean are are professionally recorded. Yeah, um, and of course on a modern, even just on a TV, you could, at least for me it's pretty easy to tell, um, that the sound changes from you know set recorded dialogue and all that to you know what was at yeah. least done at some professional level, and. Of, of you know music recording, so there's reverb and other things in mm. you know, the voice. Yeah, yeah. It it's it sounds like suddenly they just it it's almost like it was a musical. It's like when yeah. you mm. hear that tone that 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 quality change in a in a musical. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they, you know, if if they really wanted it to sound good enough that you know they were gonna have a hit single or. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it, it, of course now that, that, that feels kind of distracting. Because it really does not belong in Star Trek, no matter no matter how good the song may or may not be. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious
1: uh, for both of you what what is your take on the the quality of the music in this episode? I mean, apps and everything else.
0: Well, I'll, I'll my my thoughts on on the songs. I'm assuming you mean not the underscore. Yeah, um, which is mostly recycled, I think, except for a couple of couple of parts. I think were written, because there were some little twang, twangy guitar things thrown in there, and then the score. But the, um, the the songs sound very much like they're they're trying to do this kind of watered down, um, folky, um, you know, protest time. You know, guy guy mm-hmm. with a guitar, sixties. Thing, probably from years earlier. I mean, this is 1969, isn't it? By mm-hmm. now, I was actually told that yeah. it's actually filmed in late '60s. So 60, even then, by then, you know what the, the the style of music that that Adam is singing is <clears throat> much more akin to early Bob Dylan or something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or
0: yep. Phil Oakes or somebody like that, a protest singer. And, and that that's uh, again, they they tried to go for that style. It's it, it sort of sounds like it's... It, I mean, it's much more polished. Actually, it, it it sounds a little bit too, too nice, and it's, uh, but really, really dumb songs, <laughs> you know, and that, that kind of thing. But
2: uh, yeah, that, well, there's that, a little. That, that's my... I Do think I, no, I? I think that's true. But there's a couple of imp kind of bits that that seem that Adam kind of seems to improvise, mm-hmm. where he's he just carries, you know, he kind of does a little thing about. Oh, I can't remember, but I'm can to crack crunch, my knuckles and yeah, jump for joy? Jump, I got yeah, a clean yeah. bill of yeah. health from Doctor. Jump joy. for jump for joy, right, right, right. That are kind yeah. of kind of fun, I think, little bits. Um, but the songs, you're right, are not in any way but, memorable. But the, the or... jokes are pretty forced. I yeah, think, the, I, I suppose.
0: Scenes, partially just because they do it too, much. they rely on it a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And um, it just seems like he's wandering around the ship with his guitar or whatever <laughs> that thing is he's carrying
2: yeah well yeah it's goo- it's goofy like it's not he's not a th- in any way a threatening or, or you know mm-hmm. i don't know if there could have been a way to do present hippies as more of a a force to be reckoned with than they really are in this episode but and i you know i don't know maybe it the whole premise was just so well, flawed it, well and, and you know the the
1: thing is that um uh, I, I was thinking about that that issue as well, Rob, and um, you, it could be argued that counterculture was responsible for getting the United States out of Viet, the Vietnam War, even if belatedly, um, or it had a strong influence on our pulling out. And, and the other thing is that um, they had uh, Dr. Severin, uh, well, he was insane and he had uh, uh, captivated uh, his little group there and the obvious implication was that he did so in order to have them do his bidding, you know, help him get to Eden. And, and of course, that leads to uh, another question about, you know, Dr. Severin's insanity. Was he insane from the beginning or did the Synthococcus novi, the, you know, the synthetically um, created... Uh, a disease vector right. a, I, I think it was uh, a bacterium not rather than a virus but in any case mm-hmm. uh, did that cause his insanity? Um, mm. and I, I don't know if there's any way to determine that but I, I guess it would be more ironic if uh, his insanity was caused by the uh, you know the synthetic um, pathogen but um
0: well and and that that brings us to you know an an issue that you can <clears throat> explore a little bit in this episode is the the uh rare moments in Star Trek where we see people who are kind of going against the modernity mm-hmm. of of the Star trek world yeah and you know you you know from at least from later ones everything you know there's <clears throat> they even make jokes about replicated uh synthahol alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, other things, well, this just kind of goes to this extreme um, ar- argument that everything is so sanitized and n- un- unnatural. And, well, and, and, know, that, and that's, that, that, unfortunately, they, they don't really, they, they, they explore it a little bit, but again, it's like, they don't really connect it all the way. Well, well in, it is sort
2: of, go ahead, Eric.
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, I made the allusion to this side of Paradise and actually, uh, probably should bring in the paradise syndrome as as much as I know you hate it, John, but yeah. <laughs> um, because both of them deal with uh, you know the the questions of you know is all of our high technology is all of our um, synthesized artificial
0: mm-hmm.
1: environment um, a good thing and and actually in all three episodes I think the the answer that the producer suggests is no it is not. But, See, I would, um, I would
2: have said the opposite. You, wait, you said that the technology is not.
1: No, I meant that um, that they favor the uh, technology and artificial environments and everything that um, high tech uh, provides.
2: Well, I think I... they do. I, I think the the message is that these that that type of of natural lifestyle or innocence, that type of innocence is no longer possible, right? It's because there's, there are dangers in, in the world that will destroy your innocence, your Eden, that you try to create and so you need, it needs to be protected by force, right? So it's, you know, any any third world country that tries to go its own way or something without aligning with the Soviet Union or the United <laughs> States, you know, is you know, I mean, just to, yeah, to look yeah. at it geopolitically but also it's an unrealistic they, these all these hippie communes that fail, you know, because they as soon as someone decides to become violent, they immediately are able to, you know, disrupt. And it's sort of the idea that there's not that that's not possible. And I think that I think that is a theme that you that is the answer that kind of lies behind all those episodes that you're talking about, Eric. That's kind of common thread, is that like they the tribe of indians they can't they're threatened by the asteroid right or the whatever it is it's yeah they need yeah. some alien tractor yeah. beam to to yeah, keep exactly. them from being blown right.
0: up or the hippies go out in the out in the what is the wilderness to establish their their commune and eden and everything and well it's poisoned
2: yeah.
0: yeah and they need uh you know the the, the the suits to come in and and, rescue rescue them. them. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Forest Service coming in and evacuating the the, the, the failed forest compound or something like
2: that. Right.
1: And and you know, that kind of revisionist history, I I always find it... Well, it's interesting, but it's also rather disgusting because the kind of environment, uh, you know, technology and settled civilized environments have existed for somewhere, generously speaking, 15,000 years. And humanity actually goes back to something like 2.5 million years. And, you know, in that intervening time, you know, 2.5 million years ago to 15,000 years ago, humans were living uh, in tribal groups and using only the barest, crudest technology to survive and even thrive quite nicely mm-hmm. so you know when you know episodes like this is oh oh my god no
0: a primitive existence oh we couldn't do that well we did it for literally millions of years so oh well, that that's what i mean when i when i say that it doesn't take them seriously yeah and all that you well, know I they're, think... they're, they're just spoiled children i mean well they especially considering they they make one of the characters an ambassador's son yeah, it's like, like well they're, they're, they're privileged hippies who are are, yeah. are doing yeah. this kind of you know teenage like rebellion and I you know the other aspect of this that kind of reminds me is is of uh, uh, our our good doctor the doctor Se- Severin, I think right? yeah he, he he's he's kind of almost Unabomber esque in in, yeah. in 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 some of his attitudes it's, especially later in the episode when he's willing to kill the crew. Yeah. Um, to uh, escape society.
1: Well, and, you know, that, that's, again, uh, something that I <clears throat> thought about, John, and I'm glad you brought it up, because at the time this was uh, shot, this episode was shot, uh, the counterculture hadn't really taken the violent turn that it did in 1970 with um, Kent State, for instance, mm-hmm. and with uh, the bombing of Sterling Hall, actually here on the UW-Madison campus. Mm -hmm. and so i don't know if you could call it exactly predictive but uh um movements like the counterculture movement and such do seem to um liberal causes do seem to be co-opted by violent forces um uh, well you know as a matter of history i guess go back to the um, for instance, to the French Revolution, although that's not really a—I don't think that's an apt comparison—or
2: to but, use the, the contemporary example um, from that year, right. look how the summer of love turned into
1: yeah, Ultima. assassination. Of, well, well that—I
2: was going to say Ultima because it's more yeah, closely—they're yeah. they're mostly closely intertwined because they are they are both part of you're talking about the same people who were into you know, rock music and um, or woodstock i would say woodstock, woodstock to altamont is the is the sort of trajectory that you see well when did altamont 80. happen um altamont was in 68 oh 69 9 yeah I think so. december 69 so
1: so it was right on the heels of woodstock
2: yep it was
1: so. I, I well, should also,
0: as I pointed out before to you guys, out you know, when we were talking about this episode, is how they um, fun, funnily enough, cast the same actor to play Doctor Severin as uh, Milikon, the the Nazi. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> Which and you know, probably not intentional, but it's like, well, when you put a Nazi in charge of your uh, <laughs> right. counterculture yeah. group, look what happens. And, you
1: know, interestingly, I, um, uh, looked up, uh, the actor who played Severin, Skippy Homeyer. And when he was, he was a child Skippy. actor actually, and he was in a movie, I can't recall what it was now, where he was, um, um, he ended up being kind of, he was an, I think he was an orphan and he ended up in a, uh, being indoctrinated into a neo-Nazi group. <laughs> and,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. It was a
2: film, it was called Tomorrow the World. Yeah. Um, That's
0: great. And, you know, for years I I didn't recognize him in this. No. No, Possibly because I didn't watch this episode that many times. But but I was watching this uh, a couple weeks ago when I I got to it, and I just thought, that voice. And because he's really made up differently, the goofy ears and the Bald, bald, cap or whatever, and yeah, but yeah, that's him.
1: <laughs> yeah, you—that was a good catch, John. I, I that took me totally by
2: surprise. Gives the, the episode a lot
0: more meanings.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, he is co-opting a just. There are similarities in the character in the sense that he's co-opting the the what's supposed to be a benign cause. Yeah, both. I mean, he's playing um, in some ways very
0: similar characters. Egomaniacs. Um, yeah, no, exactly.
1: And you know the, I I think one of the things that I find distressing about this episode is that. Um, you know the basic message, the basic basic purpose of of the space hippies is a good one. They're not, um. They're not. I mean, absent Doctor or Severin, they're they they're. They're not uh, looking for violence. They're not looking to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. They just want to get away from the all of the artificial, sterilized, synthetic crap. And um, well, you know, it's cliche, but get back to nature.
0: Right. And, and aside from their bad songs and clothing choices, um, <laughs> you know, they're they're relatively positive.
1: Yeah, they are. And um, you know, prior. At, I mean, you can make the argument that prior to things like Altamont and Sterling Hall and Kent State, really, I mean, the the counterculture in the '60s was was really quite positive. The uh, you know, um, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and uh, you know, nowhere in there, you know, was it let's beat the shit out of each other and um, or go off and. Go on a murderous rampage,
0: which, which is, of course, why why it doesn't seem ridiculous that Spock is somewhat sympathetic to them or curious about them.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and there's also the angle, and you know, it's actually um, uh, kind of shoehorned in this episode is is some nice character development on Spock because he he tells Kirk outright that his you know, you know, why are you so sympathetic to them? And he says, well, it's not sympathy, it's more curiosity because uh-huh. they feel like they're aliens in their own world and, you know, it's a condition that I'm familiar with. And that, I mean, anybody who's watched, uh, I mean, done a reasonably close watching of uh, original Trek knows that that's the case, but, um, it, it, it is, uh, it, it's very in character for Spock and it, um, kind of brings home that aspect of his personality
0: yeah and as you as probably you said or maybe rob you that that is some of the better parts of this episode yeah now, now i i remember growing up thinking this when this would come on and God, this is stupid, and these horrible, horrible songs, and <laughs> all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, and and now, it's sometimes the songs are kind of the because you know, I giggle at them a little bit, and they're they're kind of funny to listen to. Yeah. And so they're they're in some way the camp has has redeemed this one. A few times. The other thing I, I there's at least one, and I, I maybe when I, I write my review I'll I'll try and point it out, but there's one well, at least one song in this episode where. I swear I don't remember very well, and I wonder if it was generally cut mm. for for television well, you know, Which one was that? and all that. Um, it's it's somewhere in the first maybe half an hour or so. Um, it, it's really it, it it doesn't really meet have have any purpose. It's just it seems like kind of a filler. Oh, okay. I, I should I should find that and uh, make a note of it. But I just I remember thinking that wow, this you know some some of the songs I totally you know, always heard and can't get out of your head and and and, but this one was like oh this 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 sounds a little different i wonder if it just wasn't this this episode could probably lose 10 or 15 minutes and it wouldn't suffer much well no
1: and that's true of a lot of the third season episodes but you know i can and this one is um generally very poorly regarded and i have to wonder if part of that isn't that you know uh the there were multiple camps uh with regards to the uh the counterculture movement at least thought about the counterculture movement and there was obviously violent opposition to it so i have to wonder how many of its detractors uh ever got past the fact oh we're dealing with counterculture we're dealing with hippies it's bad period and you know and you shut it off because yeah
0: yeah and they're 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 Again, they're they're wearing such awful costumes, and yeah, and it, it it again it gets back to the how seriously can you take them,
1: right? But you know, compared to Spock's brain, for instance, hmm. Spock's brain was just stupid. Yep, plain, plain, flat out stupid. Or the Mark of Gideon, which is just utterly ludicrous. Uh, but this, it's not, I I wouldn't bill it as stupid. I would bill it as silly and very campy but the fact that it's silly and campy actually makes it kind of fun
0: Mm -hmm. what would have been more fun it would have been if they would have maybe toned back a little on the taking over the ship plot Mm -hmm. which really sinks it later on because it's so ridiculous the way they do it and how inept the crew is and all that and 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 somehow worked a little bit differently that they yeah the enterprise still has to deal with these people but maybe not in in a shoehorning that into a conventional threat to the ship and the crew plot line that 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 kind of you know really seems very unnecessary and contrived because you have to again bend over backwards to have these like well, okay, they're looking for Eden and Chekhov down in auxiliary control, for some strange reason, yeah. and Spock's in another room mm. so they can work on things. <laughs> and, and, well, and, and that's how the, you know, the ship gets compromised, and it's really, really contrived.
1: Well, you know, the, the situation with Spock working from his quarters, that's actually explained because it's kind of a private project that he took on in order to Well, help why the, isn't
0: Chekhov in his quarters? I don't, he, maybe he it would look bad. <laughs> he needs to be in the place that has the I secrets think, to taking over the ship. Yeah, yeah, he's, I yeah. Think he
2: needs to have, somehow have access to. Yeah, I know. I'm just yeah. Ask, yeah, it's it's of course it's absurd. It's just is, it's tired. You know, it's yeah. Like there's yeah the way that and they could have they could have come up with some other reason why some other compelling reason why they needed to take these people on board or you know for them to get the enterprise to go to Eden or some some other reason. Yeah, they they know. could
0: have written that differently and done that. And and the the what the hell do they do to knock out the security guard when they bust Severin out of jail?
1: Well, suppose uh, you know what I get from that is that it's their their hippie equivalent of the Vulcan nerve pinch. Really? You know, yeah.
2: Well, that that character is an alien. He's um, okay. That's true. He's yeah. not a human,
0: so he has some hits a that's nerve in it, and the and it goes. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, they definitely have
2: skills. The, the group, right? All yeah, they've got of, mad, or at skills. Least yeah. Mad, skills. mad skills. Yeah, mad skills. They got
1: chops. Um, another that's interesting true. thing about this, I don't know if you either of you read it, but. Uh, this was co-written by uh, Dorothy Fontana.
0: Who who used a pseudonym because she didn't like the way the thing turned out.
1: Yeah, it was heavily rewritten. But in her oh. original draft, it was titled Joanna, because hmm. one of the hippies was supposed to be um, McCoy's daughter. Is, is, is daughter. that a
0: song by Cool in the Gang? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Joanna.
1: And um, actually, uh, in her first draft of the script... Uh, their uh, romantic uh, relationship was supposed to develop between Kirk and Joanna. And, oh, that's right. And which you know, which would have been interesting to me because you know, McCoy, uh what do you, what do you, what are your intentions regarding my daughter? You know, that kind of uh, that southern bullshit. But you know, um,
0: <laughs> who wants to counteract paradise, Jimbo? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ever taste of mint, Juliet? But uh, that would have been interesting. I mean, um, I, I probably the. You know her original draft or treatment is no longer in existence, but it would have been interesting yeah, to yeah. read that and see what. Uh...
0: Which, which gets me to to Chekhov, who who is done completely wrong. Yeah, His why, office, why this, do you think so? this this stuffed shirt, yeah, of an officer, which goes against. I mean, okay, Chekhov was never that exciting, but it, boy, all of a sudden he's this uh, play by the rules, you know, humorless. Know, starfleet officer who she, she she's basically uh you know going after for 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 being so stiff and so proper so proper. correct yes indeed it, it does it doesn't really work i mean it's i i think i read in one of somebody's article but maybe uh memory alpha somebody else that um this the some of this dialogue was meant to be Kirk, who who it would work much better with because he's much more an establishment person. Yeah. And but coming out of Chekhov, who was the original, you know, young person of the bridge crew, it it, it sounds very really strange.
1: Well, and you know, the whole thing with the the Beatles wig that he wore and <laughs> things like that. Yeah. It was specifically I mean, he was specifically brought on to appeal to younger viewers and to uh you know the Beatles wig was not coincidental. He, mm-hmm. he was supposed to kind of emulate that. I don't know, yeah, he that was sort a of vibe. Star
0: Trek monkey. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, um, and
0: and it was also uh, if you not very far, long ago we had his, him in uh, um, Spectre of the Gun, mm-hmm. where where he's totally getting into stuff. I mean, he does mm-hmm. not. I mean, he's a different character in that episode.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you
1: could argue yeah. that. Um, the experienced inspector of the gun might have uh, slapped him around enough that he decided to get in line and get with the program.
0: He became Hurrah. a
1: convert. Um Now, it hurt. It, that, it's an interesting point that um, in season three, Chekhov actually got the girl twice, but um, mm-hmm. in The Lights of Zatar, Scotty gets the girl, and For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky, McCoy gets the girl, I see Um, an
0: anti-Kirk sentiment coming around here. Well,
1: it's not an anti-Kirk sentiment, but you know, in the first two seasons, it's more. You know, uh, Spock got the girl in this side of paradise, and other than that, I can't remember once where somebody other than Kirk got laid. Mm -hmm. Um, but here in season three, it seems like they made a concerted effort to include all of the main male cast. With the exception of George Takei, Solo, yeah, yeah, hmm. I can't yeah, think of any. I wonder he's
0: so bitter. Yeah. Hmm.
1: So I, I, you know, I it's just an observation, but I, I, I have to wonder why? Why would, Well, he kind of got, uh, you know, one of the, one of the hippies was approaching him, think, young brother, and Kirk, of, huh, What's going on here? Um, oh, that's right. But. Um, I don't know. I, I I just wonder why he would have been left out of the uh, left out of the orgy.
2: <laughs> well, maybe with with a fourth season, he would have had yeah. his crack at it. Um, That's true. Yeah, you know, as going back to what you said um, toward the beginning, Eric, about the counterculture being a very powerful. Um, movement in society and I mean however you would define it it might be very difficult to define the counterculture because it was such a broad you know phenomenon but I do think that there I think you're absolutely right you know about the Vietnam War and and the protests and all those things and the um and I just wondered if there was some would have been some way to try to portray that in Star Trek but it's the problem is that in in real-life America in the late 60s, there was, so, there was a great deal of dissatisfaction with um, things that were going on, and you don't, you don't have that kind of dissatisfaction in, in the Federation, at least not, not well, within the, you know, the people, the guys, well, people who... Well, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that, um, n- number one... Uh, having that kind of dissension and dissatisfaction with uh, society and and the way of life is totally contrary to um, Roddenberry's idyllic ver- vision of the future, mm-hmm. at least in the Federation. And he also, and he said, wrote specifically, um, I've got a set of the writer's guidelines for Next Generation. He said very specifically that, you know, the characters are not Luddites. So, the... Mm-hmm. The dissatisfaction and the rebellion against technology—both of those things just run completely contrary to uh, Roddenberry's concept of the future, as you know, the Star Trek era.
2: Well, and he was, even though he he tried to straddle the the counterculture and the the establishment, and in fact, the Star Trek the the series and the, and the whole idea of it does try to be try to create a synthesis between. Those those kind of opposites, and try it tries to be, but it if there whenever there is a you know a need to choose, he, Roddenberry and I think the show as well come does come down on the side of the establishment, right? I mean, oh yes, yeah. kind of fair to say that. But yeah, I mean, pers- it, yeah,
1: yeah. It was it was kind of an effort. I the way I see it, Star Trek wasn't well. First of all, it was a vehicle for talking about ideas in a way that oh. wouldn't get shut down by the censors immediately. Um, But beyond that, I mean, Roddenberry was forward-thinking, but he was also, I mean, he was born in 1920, he was a World War II veteran, he was a cop. So, I mean, how, you know, all those experiences his entire life prior to doing Star Star Trek was based on being a a very active part of the establishment, supporting it, um, protecting it. So, you know, the degree to which he can actually, he could actually abandon that and, you know, embrace the counterculture, mm-hmm. I, I can't believe that that would be, uh, well, a- as you pointed out, Rob, when, when push comes to shove, uh, it always goes back to the establishment. It's uh, the however, system, man. Y- yeah, man.
0: And, and, and Gene Roddenberry was LBJ. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, Us- I don't Us- know that I would go quite Us- that far, but or Nixon yeah. or something. No, he was trying to be—he was trying to be like like Bobby Kennedy, like somebody who would, yeah, who would bridge that divide. You know that you can be cool, but you can also be part of the establishment too. Now, now then again, I, I think Roddenberry
0: probably had little to nothing to do with this episode, but right, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll he had little more, to nothing
1: to do with the entire third season. So, yeah, yeah right.
0: I mean, but... I. I have no idea what he thought of this one, other than it sucked because it was third season, mm. if he even gave it that much thought by the time this one had been produced. But then again, it's it seems like a lot of third season was made of uh, first and second season reject ideas mm. and stories. Yeah, because so they I, didn't I have wonder, the budget. Yeah, and this, this this could have been one he rejected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. or thought, no, yeah. oh, this is too on the nose or too literal for us to do. And, the, and then well, they, they dusted it off and did it anyway
1: well you know and uh, the uh, one, one of the big different I, I I was just talking with my wife about this uh, The Way to Eden is actually a good example of uh, some really good interesting ideas and issues that you know completely worthy of discussion but like pretty much most of the third season episodes, the execution sucks. Yeah. They didn't. I mean, handled differently. This could have been a really kick-ass episode, but um...
0: yeah, uh, I just, don't just dealing with it with the some some sign of kind of federa- federation anti-establishment group mm. or so, something that 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 maybe well, poke a few holes in our idyllic society. Yeah, and that that kind of thing if so if you if, if you don't make it quite so literal yeah have, having the, the the music and the the costumes and all that stuff yeah it 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 could have been taken much more seriously and yeah it wouldn't have been that subtle but you know it still wouldn't have been quite as bad as this
1: yeah um
2: misogyny corner I mean, other than that, the women seem to be the least effective and least skilled uh, of the group. You know, um, the hippies.
0: Rob, yeah. your your voice is. Are you in uh, a paper bag now or
2: something? Oh, am I? Is that better? Okay, that's better. Sorry, I was turned to. I was turned away temporarily. No, that the women. The women are are kind of just tag-alongs. In fact, the yeah. The the names of the characters are. Girl number one and girl number two, apparently, <laughs> in the script, well, maybe yeah, is, but, Well, go ahead.
1: Well, I was just going to say, um, you're. That's maybe not entirely fair because Arena. Actually, I mean, they don't. Um, Chekhov is disapproving, but he's not condescending to her. Um,
2: no, that's true. He's and, very respectful.
1: And, and, and actually, um, you know, she's a reasonably strong and intelligent character. I mean, she protests when Severin is setting up his sonic uh, disruptor. Yeah,
0: she's not bad, actually. Aside so, from her horrible accent. What, oh, yeah. you have
1: problem with her accent?
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that it guy. It was
1: worse than Walter Koenigs, yeah.
0: Oh, it makes makes <laughs> him look like a genius. <laughs> Yeah, but the character you know, as, as it's written, is is okay. Yeah. You know, she she is, yeah. Her purpose there, you know, is is not all that progressive, but she at least has has some kind of motivations of her own and some kind of a character.
1: Yeah.
0: And she isn't, although you know she isn't just there to distract Chekhov.
1: Right. And and but you know the thing about it is, why the bloody hell? Did they have to make her Russian? Like, Chekhov could not be interested
0: in something other than yeah. a Russian girl?
2: Uh-huh. I mean, come yeah.
0: on. Yeah, the, the Ruski has to date the Ruski.
2: Yeah, and so and as a result, you have these awful scenes where they're both doing their, their kind of bad <laughs> accents. Yeah,
0: <laughs> those are in some ways more painful than the music.
1: <laughs> oh, lordy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I again I giggle at some of the parts, especially the, the jam session. Oh yeah, where, with Spock where, where, jamming where, out on his with with the woman with the bicycle tire. Yeah. He's playing it and going Well
1: and the head bobbing too, you know Oh, I
0: know, oh. they're they're all in and Scotty just looks at the guy the red red shirted guy on the bridge with the disgust. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's just, you know, doing a doobie or something. <laughs> Well they should have gotten Scotty
1: in there with his bagpipes to jam.
0: That would have been interesting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Probably frightening, but yeah.
0: He he didn't reach. Did no. not reach. Did not you reach know, at he, all. he
1: was a major Herbert.
0: Oh, definitely. Scotty's a Herbert.
1: I did like that though when Kirk, you know, kinda goes, Uh yeah, Spock, um, <clears throat> It was Herbert. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I shall try and be more flexible in my thinking. Is that what it says? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Spock's kind of. No, yeah. That's awful. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: No doubt about it.
1: <sighs> well, if you guys want to do um, um, the cloud minders as well, I.
0: Well, Rob, I'd
2: be okay think? with it. Yeah, I'm up for it. Okay.
0: That one actually Wait, shouldn't take too long. Let's take just a, a minute here. I'm going to refill my liquids.
1: How old is the scotch you're drinking,
0: John? Well, I was drinking an old-fashioned, actually. Oh, okay. So,
1: what goes into an old-fashioned?
0: Mm, rye and some... Well, I just used a mix, actually, this time. So.
2: Actually, guys, give okay. just give me a... I'll be right back in, like, yep. t- two me minutes. Yeah.
0: Okay. yeah, I need to as well. All right.